0: Welcome, listeners, to Glam City. We're here in our third season. Thank you for joining us along the way. And if you're new, thank you for joining us today. And here we are, Anna Clark, me, Tamsin Peach. What we do on Glam City is we go behind the scenes of the galleries, libraries, archives and museums of our country talking to people who are tasked with preserving our culture. And today we're talking to Alana Piper. Now, Alana is one of our own. She's a new recruit to the Australian Centre for Public History here at UTS in 2018. And she holds a postdoctoral research fellowship. But before that, she was at Griffith University working on the Prosecution Project, which is a brilliantly illustrative title. And I hope we hear a bit more about that shortly. But Alana researches the history of crime, and today we're going to be talking about an amazing new project in which she is asking you and your friends and your relatives and anyone you know, in fact, to help her in accessing the secrets held in old Victorian prison records. Now, Alana, would you describe yourself as a crime historian?
1: Yeah, crime historian, criminal justice historian um, as well, because I'm interested not just in the offences that were committed, but what happened to people after that. So, you know, the processes of criminal justice, how people get caught up in the prison system, and what makes them either stay within that system in terms of going through the sort of cycle of offending and reoffending, or what happens when people desist? How do people find their way out of
2: criminal? lives. So it's not a life of crime that you're attracted to but the lives of criminals.
1: Yeah, so Criminal Characters, the project that I'm working on at the moment, it's about looking at ordinary people can end up committing offences for a whole host of reasons. Criminal offending, we sort of tend to think of it as something exceptional. The offences that we tend to talk about and that tend to get remembered most prominently tend to be the sort of sensational offences. But actually there's, you know, a whole host of really everyday offences that people, you know, a moment of temptation can change the course of their life, their family's life forever. And how did you get interested
0: in in crime history?
1: So I've probably been interested in crime history for a very long time. I've been interested in history ever since I was a kid. And, you know, I grew up in Brisbane close to the Bogger Road Jail after it closed. Um, That was, you know, a couple of suburbs over from where I lived. So I would visit there. They have a small museum can do history tours of the site and so that was probably my first exposure to crime history was hearing about those prison stories and now of course i'm working with prison records and and finding out other stories about prisoners
0: i mean true crime is such a thing in the world of podcasts you know it's really driven this great sort of popular explosion into thinking about the sorts of questions you've already raised how Mm. people get caught up in the justice system is it new not at all. So
1: I think, especially in Australia, we've had a fascination from crime almost since the start of colonization. Obviously, with being colonized as a convict colony, so the first novel that was written in Australia was a novel by a convict about convict life—a sort of um, romantic imagination of his own life, fictionalization of his own life. Henry Savary's, um Quintus Servanton in 1831. You know, our first Australian Film, which was also the first feature length film in the world, was 1906 Story of the Kelly Gang about bushrangers. So, again, sort of romanticising the bushranger culture that had been going on in Australia, you know, 30 years before that was made. Um, And today in Australia, 37. Prison museums throughout wow. the country. Wow. So I think we definitely have an appetite for crime stories. Is in it this
2: the th- that sort of mix of the exotic, as you say, and the ordinary? That it could be any one of us, but that something extraordinary has happened to them, perhaps.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's I think other and prisons in particular. I think it's such a space that we don't know what's going on there, that we sort of only get to see the inside of them. If we are one of these people who, you know, something exceptional happens to, for most of us, we'll never see inside a prison until after it's closed, after it's passed into history. So I think there's a, a sort of wonder or curiosity there about what
0: goes on. And And yet crime has also been occluded in our histories you know I mean it wasn't until the 1970s and 80s that Australians were prepared to kind of embrace their convict past. How does that sit alongside the kind of interest in crimes of other kinds that we are seeing in true crime and perhaps also the crime and justice museums of the kinds that you're talking about?
2: Yeah
1: well I think that story that you know we were reluctant to embrace the convict past until the 1970s really is only half the story because convict life and the convict history was talked about a lot before that. There were sort of, you know, two narratives that were going on even before then. Um, You see in the early 20th century, even newspapers would run newspaper articles remembering the old convict days and sort of engaging in that romanticisation. So I think that idea that the interest in Australia's convict and criminal past is a sort of recent development isn't entirely accurate in that way. I think there's a much longer tradition of remembering the convict past and also remembering it in quite sympathetic ways. If you look, um, lots of the sort of early convict novels were quite sympathetic to convict figures, that you know it was often uh, the case of the wrongly accused or uh, accused for a crime that was sympathetic, that was tended to be the convict heroes of those sorts of stories that came through in the 19th and early 20th century.
2: If this is a kind of a, a popular remembering, if yeah. you like, as opposed to perhaps an official sort of romanticisation or sentimentalisation of convict history, yeah. that popular history is maybe... Witnessed again now in that sort of boom in true crime that's happening, and Mm. you know, people just are so interested in true crime podcasts and novels, it's this booming genre. Are you? Uh, Absolutely. I'm I'm very interested,
1: not just in the crime stories themselves, but also in the public's Mm. interest and fascination with this. You know, I don't think the interest is necessarily new, but the fact that it can be catered to by so many mediums, you know, that we've got the dedicated true crime channel now on Foxtel, which I know my mum is obsessed with, um, (laughs) apart from anything else. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, as you say, podcasts, lots of sort of new genres of engaging with this true crime information are out there. So that's something as part of the project I am really interested in investigating. I'm running a survey at the moment that's looking into public fascination and interest in crime history. Uh, so if anyone wants to get on to criminalcharacters.com and fill that survey out, you know I'm equally interested in people who are not interested in crime history and why not? And, and people who are and, and what sort of understandings of crime history they
0: have. And we, we're definitely going to come to your website uh, mm. in a minute. But I, I also want to ask, you know, for every crime, there is a victim, although I know there's this mm. idea of victimless crime, but are the victims as well or those that suffer the consequences of crime an interest of yours? Mm.
1: Definitely, and with my earlier work on the prosecution project, uh, was something we were very cognizant of in writing a history of the criminal trial: that victims tend to be left out of crime stories, and often in terms of criminal. Justice processes, victims often tend to be re victimised by those processes, that it can be quite traumatic. They don't necessarily get the justice they want all the ways out of the system. So, that was something, particularly in that project, that uh, was interested mm-hmm. in, in looking at and thinking about what is the role of victims in the justice system and what do they sort of try and get out of it and does the system really meet those needs. My particular focus was looking at history of thieves for that process. And it's you know quite interesting when you sort of look at victims in that context, often what they really want is their money or their property back. So you see all sorts of informal negotiations that went through the criminal justice system historically, particularly because when you sort of look at what the relationships between victims and offenders were, often it's not strangers robbing you it tends to be people you know or have some sort of relationship with neighbours friends sort of loose social contacts um so oftentimes people would say well you know i'm willing to drop the charges if you (laughs) just give me part of my property back or you know Mm. this yeah whatever you can
2: manage even so that was quite interesting there's this whole series i mean there are thousands and thousands and thousands of stories of Mm. Both criminals and victims, and legal, um, so, you know, people from the police and and lawyers and so on. Mm. How do we track this and research it? I mean, are they on databases? What What are mm-hmm. you? What's your method in in trying to sort of collate all this material, and then yeah. also not lose the nuance of those beautiful anecdotes of mm-hmm. you know the person in Brisbane in the jail. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: so. Collating is right. It's, it's exactly what you've got to do, really, when you come to crime records because you're never going to get the full story from just one source material. But we are lucky, really, that uh, lots of crime records have tended to survive. So it's, you know, witness depositions from um, trials from the 19th and 20th century. We usually have those to sort of tell us, well, you know, what did they initially say to police when they were reporting the crime in cases of victims? What did other eyewitnesses reveal about those processes? That could be very interesting. There's uh, police gazettes, which throughout Australia, that's a really sort of uniquely Australian resource that we have, is that each colony would put together a weekly report that would go around to all the police stations throughout that colony and often intercolonially as well. That would have, like, all the sort of victim reports, all the lists of prisoners that have been released back into the community. Um you know there's there's quite a range of records and of course the trove newspaper database is just a gold mine for criminal research today um, so many of the st- sort of stuff, the newspaper reports are actually the best records of what went on in the trial itself, because you get all those things that aren't captured by the legal documents, such as um, in court, audiences' mm. reactions, so, you know, there's public gallery and there's you know the media Outbursts there from... And- absolutely from the community and you see how the public community has been really engaged and exercised about crime. Like, you know, you can sort of imagine before Netflix, before (laughs) movies, this was a form of entertainment for people that people would go to the public gallery. They talk about, you know, Housewives taking their peas down to like shell peas and like do this sort of like cooking preparation work in the sort of public gallery of the courthouse while they're getting this sort of soapy entertainment of the afternoon by looking at the cases going through. Um, So, you know, you you can sort of get a real sense of community sentiments around crime. And um, when they're on the side of the victim, you can tell that. and, And when they're on the side of the offender, you can tell that too
0: you're listening to glam city on 2SER 107.3 to download this podcast head to 2SER.com or of course your favorite podcast app and look for glam city this podcast is made by the australian center for public history at uts with support from 2SER and don't forget to leave us a rating while you're on itunes or whichever other platform you're on it really helps other people to find us Today, we're here talking to Alana Piper about her new project and about crime history. Now, we've been talking about how amazing Trove Newspaper Archive is for, uh, for doing crime history. And Trove, of course, is an online digital repository. And Alana, you also describe yourself as a digital historian, which is key to this new project you're doing. What's a digital historian?
1: It's not a, a clearly defined term because digital technologies and the it's kind digital of an oxymoron, tools that yeah historians can use you know are still emerging. So really. Anyone can be a digital historian, almost, if they're, they're willing to engage with the digital tools and digital platforms to look at history. Although some would say that you need to go further than that to truly be a digital historian and think about the methods that you're using in, in critical ways and experiment with those. So in terms of what my interest in you know why I would define myself as a digital historian is that I've created this project which is using this digital tool which is called Zooniverse which basically allows for crowdsourcing of transcription of historical prison records so anyone can jump online if they go to criminalcharacters.com and go to the transcription site and transcribe prison records. Citizen historians. Yeah citizen historians or you know the citizen science approach because this sort of approach to transcription or you know approach to getting uh, public users to Do research tasks comes from the sciences originally, but you know I'm not just sort of using this digital tool. I'm also really interested in investigating what the use of this digital tool means for those people who get on and do this volunteer work. How they're
2: connecting to the past. How
1: how they're connecting to the past. You know, does it have benefit from them? So there's you know an emerging literature in this area that crowdsourcing has, and citizen science and citizen history has real benefits for the public in that it gets them to experience history the way historians do when we're immersed in these primary source records all the time and getting to grips with the sort of minutiae of history and experiencing history in that way. And the lives of
2: these people that otherwise you would never know about, presumably.
1: Yeah. You know, that this has a real potential to increase historical literacy in a way, and then you know, promote
0: deeper understandings of the past. So, you mentioned the survey before. Mm. Tell us a bit more about what kind of questions you're asking on that mm-hmm. and what sort of you're trying to find out there. So, I'm
1: interested in the sources of information. So, where are people getting their knowledge of crime history? Are they reading? historical fiction books about crime are they watching crime documentaries do they go to these 37 prison museums across australia (laughs) on a regular basis you know where are people being informed about crime history and potentially you know is that changing with the emergence of new genres like podcasts and digital formats The other thing that I'm interested in is the actual understandings of crime history that are coming out of those various sources of information about crime that I think we're all exposed to in the public to some extent. How does that relate to understandings of crime today? So is there a relationship between if you have a particular understanding of how crime operated or how the criminal justice system operated in the past, does that influence your understandings of crime and the criminal justice system today? Or perhaps not. So there's a range of questions on there. The survey only takes about five to ten minutes if people want to get on. It's completely anonymous. But it's already um, creating some really interesting outcomes and results, particularly in terms of the differences between Australian respondents and respondents overseas. It has been quite interesting to see. So, for instance, um, UK respondents tend to be much more positivistic positivistic uh, celebratory about their crime justice or their legal system they tend to view their justice system in a more positive light than respondents in the US and Australia both convict places where people yeah, were sent absolutely by britain yeah and um, particularly in the US, you know, a strong understanding of crime as being a very racialized issue mm. that often gets mm. And in Australia up.
0: too, presumably. Yeah. And so this is half of this project, Criminal Characters. The other half is, tell us what the other half is about. So when someone does log on and do a transcription, mm. what are they doing? What are they transcribing? And
2: what are they seeing?
0: Mm. And what
1: are they seeing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're seeing a prison record from the Central Register of Victorian... Prisons that was created in Victoria in the early 1850s when the prison system was under development and expansion with the discovery of gold in Victoria. And basically the format that was created in those early years has remained consistent right down to the 1940s. So whether you're looking at something from the 1850s and 1940s, you're looking at a fairly similar document. So you've got demographic information captured in that record of what's the prisoner's occupation, their religion, where they were born, um, marital status. Uh, You've also got their list of their convictions and Victoria is special in that while other prison records often just captured a prisoner's conviction information for that entry into prison, the Victoria Prison Records created a record that would continuously be updated every time a prisoner was coming back to the prison, so it has their full conviction Mm -hmm. history for Victoria, and it also has a list of their convictions that didn't result imprisonment. So if they have other criminal convictions that resulted in a fine or them perhaps being uh, diverted to another type of institution such as a lunatic asylum or a charity home, that would also be noted in these records. So you can get quite interesting institutional histories of, of people sort of bouncing between all these incipient welfare organisations that were mm. coming into being in 19th century Victoria. You also get really fascinating notations about family history at time, which is something you also don't see necessarily in prison records from other colonies and states so prison officers would note, for instance, if prisoners had children who had been taken into care by the state in terms of industrial schools and reformatories if they perhaps had brothers or husbands or wives or sisters who were also serving sentences in prison. That sort of information would be noted down there, when they had migrated from and on what ships they had come over. So really great information for family historians. And the other thing I love about them is all the information you get about their time in prison itself because you get to see, you know, if they were misbehaving, what they were doing, what sort of... Disciplinary measures we'll be using to correct so you can sort of see the use of solitary confinement, wax and wane in the prison system as a a method of correction and other sorts of punishments. What's the ethics
2: of doing this sort of history with these are lives of people, some of whom children might still be alive or Mm. grandchildren or... You know, there's a lot of talk with, say, the records of the forgotten Australians or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, stolen wages of Aboriginal people. Who owns these records? Mm. Because there's obviously an institutional or a state bias about what they're writing about. And the representation of these criminal characters, if you like, is from a particular perspective. Mm. How do we deal with that as historians today? How do we Mm. sort of rub up against the ethics of doing this sort of history? And then it goes online, obviously. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like obviously it's a very complex question. I believe that in the case of these prison records, they are already online um, in terms of photographs of the records that are existing on the public records office site. So they're all you know, freely available in public view already. Um, what this project is doing is transcribing those records so that they're actually useful to people. So potentially useful for family historians or people who want to go back and find family members who have gone through the criminal justice system, which does often happen and, you know, I have met and talked to family historians a lot working in archives over the years who really sort of value those criminal justice records as a way to find out about areas of the family past that have really perhaps shaped the lives and fortunes of their family and this is a way for them to finally understand what happened there and, and what went on. Obviously in terms of writing about histories and, and and knowing that these people are potentially you know still have family lives uh, it makes you very cognizant of sort of thinking about the perspective of, well, you know, this is a real human breathing person, which I think is is always good as a historian to be cognizant of. But, you know, most of the interactions I've had with family historians have been very, very positive. I've, you know, had people write to me that they were very pleased to sort of learn about the stories of the ancestors through my writings that, you know, i have able to help them understand what it meant that their ancestor or, or family member ended up in prison, which, as I say, you know, it could be uh, for any number of reasons, you know, it wasn't necessarily something um, unusual. It's not necessarily something that needs to be viewed with, Shame in this day and age, like uh, particularly historically, people could end up in prison for you know simple poverty. It was probably the most common reason that people ended up in prison. So, so. Is,
0: it, is it sort of fair then, or what, mm. what are we doing when we talk about people you know of, of all these kinds that get caught up in the prison mm. system for lots of different reasons as criminal?
1: You know, it's understanding what that term actually means, and that's something I also hope that this project will do is understand well, what does it mean that we call someone a criminal? That's, you know, a judgment that the justice system has made in a way, but actually, that term doesn't necessarily apply to everyone who has a criminal conviction in the sense that. Perhaps the image of the criminal in the popular imagination
0: is true. So, criminal characters? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, what do we mean by you criminal the characters?
0: The yeah. yeah, questioning those terms. Yeah. So, if someone logs onto this site, criminalcharacters.com, mm. what are they going to do? You know, what's the transcription task that's mm. going to be offered up to them?
1: So... Basically, they have a choice. They can either choose to transcribe just part of the prison record. You know, for instance, asked what was the earliest conviction listed in the prison record. You just transcribe that, click done, and you're on to the next little bit. Or you can choose to transcribe a full prison record. That usually takes about sort of 10 minutes to get through a a full one. But if you're interested in reading through the full prison record and getting the full story, that's a great option. yeah, yeah certainly welcome people doing that
0: <laughs> so if people do want to join your team of yeah. citizen if historians there's
2: someone out there mm.
0: what's their first step
1: uh, so logging on to criminalcharacters.com or one word, criminalcharacters.com is a good start So that's my project website So it has a number of resources there For learning about crime history If you're interested in crime history As well as links to the survey And links to the transcription site Once you go to the transcription site There's lots of help tools to get you started Little tutorial, help buttons uh, Sort of glossary and frequently asked questions, that kind of thing. So I think it's quite a sort of straightforward process, but criminalcharacters.com.
0: Great. I went Googled criminal characters and I just got a list of people that appeared in films um, as, you know, demonised criminals. If you're Googling it, Google Criminal Characters plus Zooniverse mm. and it will come top of your Google search or probably UTS This is
2: not the Hollywood version. This mm. is the real, the real,
0: stuff. real life history. <laughs> We're coming to the end of today's show, unfortunately. But before we go, uh, we have our Glam Slam segment. And this is where we check our diaries to let you know what events are coming up uh, in our calendars and what perhaps you should uh, check out. You first, Anna. What have you got? I coming? am blocking out some time on the weekend
2: to sit on my couch with my socks on, put up my feet and listen to episode six of My Marvellous Melbourne, which is this fantastic history pod that Andrew May is doing at the University of Melbourne. And it's got beautiful soundscapes, great interviews. It's just a really cool intro into the sort of history and historical thinking, I suppose, that's going on in Melbourne brilliant do you know hmm. what
0: episode 6 is on
2: there's some stuff on Waddle Park um, interviews with, in, um, with authors and so on yeah looks great cool
1: what about you Alana I'm also sort of heading down to Melbourne, but in real life in in a (laughs) week's time and uh, heading to the state archives there. And they are actually having a photography exhibition that's all about Melbourne street life over the years, which I think will be really fascinating to take a look at.
0: What about you, Tamzo? Oh, I am going to Luna Park. I have only just recently discovered that Luna Park is the only operating example of a 1930s fun house in the world and it's heritage Get listed. Get out of town. No, exactly. So you have to go through the crazy, crazy rides to the bit called Coney Island yeah. funny land and it's full of original 1930s um, I don't know, a tube that spins around in a mirror thing and a kind of um, slide, amazing slides and all these pinball machines. So you can, you can do that and I think it's like $10 or something. Oh. You don't have to pay huge amounts of I money. I remember
2: going there as a kid and I never thought I was walking into a part of – World Heritage.
0: But you were writing on World Heritage, probably. Imagine or that. running away from it, or
2: running <laughs> me, my motion sickness.
0: So thank you, everyone, for joining us. That brings us to the end of Glam City for today. If you want to hear more from us, head to the 2SER website, which is 2 com, And you can also, of course, search for us on your favourite podcast app. Glam City is made by the Australian Centre for Public History with the wonderful support of 2SER 107.3. You can email us at glamcity at 2 And thanks to Alana Piper for being our guest today. We'll see you back here next week for more Glam Conversations. Blurn out. Blen out.